Hello and welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about expatriates and the artistic way they've styled their lives around the world. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. Find yourself shipwrecked in a far off place and Dale, welcome to the show. <laughs> Try not to plan too much at all. You know, it would just be spontaneous. I quit the limiting stories. I really try to overcome that fear. I'm gonna sail again. One more. I got one more sailing. Love her, but leave her wild. But it didn't work for me. The American dream wasn't gonna work for me because I didn't fit American dream. I had respect that I was a young farmer. Now I'm an old guy, and I had respect myself. You know what, Jacob? I'm a secret fan. And I prefer to just be secret. And if you can figure out who Dale Dagger is, then figure it out. And if you can't, then don't. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today we're speaking to Jen and Steve, aka Steve O. Jocelyn, live in Cambodia. And they're a rad couple. I got I've actually known Jen my whole life. And I got to meet Steve in the last few years and uh, found their story super cool and interesting and inspiring because they've made a really cool life for themselves in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And I've never been, but based on their stories, I'm desperate to go. They have a really cool blog called Two Can Travel, where you can learn all about life in Phnom Penh as an expatriate. They have really cool personal ambitions within the, their like lifestyles, where Steve is doing stand-up in Asia and Jen's a freelance writer and photographer. So I thought it'd be really cool to bring them on the show. And also get a feeling for how they make a living. Because in our last episode, episode 12, we spoke to Krista Romano, who spoke about teaching English in Asia, but she actually never did it. So I felt it'd be really cool to bring on this cool couple and give us a really good perspective on what it's actually like to teach in Asia and make money in Asia. So with that said, I'd like to welcome Steve and Jen to the show. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having us. Happy, to, Super happy to have you guys. So yeah, with that said, I mean, I know very little about how you both made your way to Asia. Um, you've been there quite a few years now, so maybe we could just quickly give a, a brief overview of how you actually wound up in Phnom Penh and, and just teaching Asia in general. And you can take turns telling your story or, or however you feel most appropriate. Um, yeah. I, in 2011, uh, we had just started dating again. We've known each other since high school, so we go way back. But um, we really wanted to travel, but we didn't have that much money saved up. So we went out and got TOEFL certificates, um, TOEFL and an, a specialization in IELTS. And then we started looking and teaching jobs in Asia um, as a way to fund our travels and just be abroad. And uh, yeah, so we originally wanted to move to South Korea, but uh, at the time you had to get an FBI background check. That's still the case. Uh, and that was going to be like a six-month process for us to get through that. Um, so then we started looking into going to China, and that was a month between looking for the job and wheels down in northern China. So that was that was the deciding vote for you is just to get there as fast as possible. Yeah, basically. We didn't really look into where it was. It was in the freezing northeast, like close to Russia and North Korea. Um, so that was an experience, um, but it got us over here. Can we talk about that experience a little bit more? I mean, because that sounds like a really abrupt, drastic change from what you kind of had hoped to get into in South Korea. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, at the time, we, you know, we were both living at home with our parents, and it was a lot cheaper to move to China than it was to move to Tustin. So we, it was, it was a shock. It was a shock. It was, it was below freezing for six months. Wow. Uh, yes, we're from Southern California, so that was a big difference for us. And um, you guys were still dating. I mean, this was something you went out and did as a, a dating couple. Yeah, I mean, we had never lived together before. So I think the whole thing, you know, was compounded by the fact that this is a big deal for our relationship as well as moving across the world. Trial by fire. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so then overall, how was that experience? I mean, how long did you end up staying in China for? Um, in China in total, we were there nearly three years. Um, but in that city, we were there for just one year. Okay. Um, so yeah, Mudanjiang. Okay. Yeah. And, and, Obviously, the teaching captivated you enough to stick with it. What, what's it like? I mean, can you give our audience kind of perspective on arriving in a sounds like a very secluded, cold area and becoming English teachers? I mean, do they cover that in the course, what that transitional experience is going to be like? I don't think anything can really prepare you. Like, no TOEFL course is going to prepare you for being a teacher. You just have to get in the classroom. And that's also a bit of trial by fire. Um, but we learned a ton that year. Uh, we had great co-teachers we worked with, the Chinese staff. They were awesome. Um, but to be honest, when you first start teaching abroad, your options are pretty limited. You're basically stuck with these EFL or ESL kind of training schools. Um, and usually that'll be with kids. So it's just, uh, you know, classes of like 20, 30 Chinese kids of all different ages. Yeah, the, the first school we worked for was uh, a chain. So they had all of the materials prepared for us, and they would say, okay, you're doing page 35 and 36, the letter E in social situations or something like that. And so we would have the material prepared for us, and then we would have to go up and do like a little song and dance uh, show to make it interesting for the kids. Okay. Um, that make the whole experience better or worse to have that sort of structure? I mean, Diego and I are both fairly outgoing, so like, to work within that structure was fine, and you can make the class what you want to, to be a fun teacher, uh, but sometimes you definitely feel like a dancing monkey. Oh, yeah. yeah. The dog and pony show, I like to call it. Yeah, exactly. Were you guys making money? Uh, not not so much money there. I think we were making $1,200 a month each there, um, but it was more than enough to live on because our apartment was included and our flights were included. And I believe they paid for our visas as well. So yeah, we were saving a bit, more than we would have saved if we were in California, despite how low that salary is was. That sounds actually really great. Pretty incredible. When you kind of arrived and you said that you didn't have many options, what does that mean? Can you give me some perspective on that? Like, did you, how do options open up? Well, I guess um, we didn't know what to expect. So we kind of took the first job that was offered to us um, through the recruiter that we worked with. Uh, but once we got there, I mean, even within the first couple of weeks, we got some funny opportunities. Like we were helping a website that sold wedding dresses made in China to Americans and other people abroad, um, just with their communication. Yeah. They were getting requests in from people, uh, like they're, they were getting requests from these women saying, giving them their measurements and they're saying they're, they're way too big. And they're saying like, sorry, ma'am, we make wedding dresses, not wedding tents. Circus tent. <laughs> oh. That's horribly offensive. That's amazing. Yeah. You're helping them not be so offensive. Yeah. In their email communication. <laughs> and were you getting paid for that? A little bit. A little I mean, bit. it was more just like something to do. Why not? 
Um, we also bartended in some other cities in China. And just little things would come up when you're, honestly, when you're a white person in China, people have this view of foreigners there um, putting us on a bit of a pedestal sometimes. So you get these opportunities to do things simply because you are a foreigner. Interesting. Would you give somebody advice just to just show up? I get a lot of people in past episodes saying that the one thing they would advise is just, hey, just go and, and figure it out when you get there, which is a super scary thought for a lot of people who've never done it before. What would you say to that? It, it's it's difficult to do that in China because to get a uh, to trans I think you can't do it anymore now to become a traveler and then get a job in China is a huge process. We did that once when we worked in Yangzhou. You come in on a tourist visa and then you have to go to Hong Kong and turn it into a Z visa. But I think they made that harder now. I think it's a more difficult process. Now but now. that is exactly what we did in um, here in Phnom Penh. We just flew over here, no jobs lined up, like no apartment, no nothing. And we figured it out here. So, I mean, in Asia, that is possible. Okay. And then the experience, the three years that you spent in China kind of prepared you and gave you the confidence for making that leap of faith and just going somewhere and figuring it out. Yeah, definitely. And so what, what, what was the reasoning for going to Phnom Penh? Why Cambodia? Uh, when we were working in China, we would have breaks in between each school year, and we would always come here to Cambodia. Uh, just to travel, and we also did some volunteer work here. And, and we just fell in love with the country, so we kept coming back. What did you fall in love with about it? What was so special? I mean, the people, it's so beautiful. It just It's like one of those places where just going outside feels like an adventure. Like, you're never bored here. And uh, we also had met some um, very nice people when we traveled here in 2014, um, including some comedians. So Steve O got to see what the comedy scene was like here. And um, coming from Shanghai, you know, he knew he wasn't going to find something quite that amazing in a comedy scene. But the people here were great. So we figured we'd give it a go. That's so cool. Can we touch upon Steve-O's uh, passion for comedy and how that's played itself out throughout Asia? Steve-O, can you kind of give us some insight into what it's like as a white male comedian uh, catering to the Asian, various Asian cultures you've been in? Uh, yeah, uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Uh, the most for the most part, the audiences are expats, um, but in like uh, Malaysia and in India, it was mostly locals. And so uh, trying to appeal to them was difficult to try to make everything as universal as possible and to make fun of white people as much as possible. <laughs> That's great. And when you're traveling to these various countries, are you traveling with a uh, com comedy group or is this just you and Jen on your travels, you picking up g random gigs? Uh, the latter. We're just going by ourselves and I make contacts with each, uh, like I'll make contacts here in Cambodia the context in Cambodia got me a show in Thailand. Thailand got me a show in in Myanmar. Myanmar got me a show. Context I made in Myanmar got me a show in Malaysia, and then context in Malaysia got me shows in India. So it's just it's just meeting people who know people who know people. I see. There's not like a website you can jump on and find out uh, various bars that are hosting comedy nights. They there are, but they're usually outdated. So it's uh, best to get in touch with the the men themselves. I see. How 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 does that pay? Do you make any money doing that? I make a couple bucks every so once in a while, but uh, it is not a full-time gig. Okay. And Jen, what about your blog? When did you decide to do a blog called Two Can Travel? And what's that kind of blog about? 
Um, well, I, I bought the domain name when we were traveling um, for six months in 2014 as just like, oh, yeah, let's definitely do this, but didn't really do anything with it that trip at all. And then when we moved to Phnom Penh, I kind of made it my goal to um, get moving on it. And the focus originally was just travel, but since we were living in Cambodia, I focused it much more on Cambodia only. And since then, so many opportunities have opened up to work with different companies and um I've just gotten more writing opportunities through that as well. So I kind of see the blog as a platform right now for me to get more freelance writing, which has been happening lately. That's incredible. How long did that take you to get to where you're at? Oh, gosh. Um, probably within a year, I got a couple of freelance writing gigs. Um, and that was because I went to a conference in Thailand called the Travel Bloggers Exchange Conference. And through that, I just networked a ton and met so many people in the industry. And that was kind of the catalyst to me realizing that this could be something that I could make money off of. Wow. And so you are. You're making a little bit of money off that now or a lot of money. What's what's going on with it? Definitely not a lot of money. Um, but I'm making a bit of money here and there um, and hoping to increase that because our, our goal going forward would be to kind of sustain our travels through freelance writing and then through Steve's comedy gig. So um, we're building up to that and we're hoping that maybe by June we'll be at a point where we can do that. So six months from now. Okay. Wow. That's a cool timeline. So yeah, let's talk like presently. Where's Jen? Where's Steve-O? What's your life like? And what do you do for living in Phnom Penh? I mean, we mentioned that you came as teachers. Are you still teachers? What's going on with that? Yeah. So like despite... All the other stuff we have going on, we have full-time jobs right now um, in, in education. Um, yeah, so I'm a teacher. I teach first grade at a small international school here in Phnom Penh, and I love it. I mean, it's going great, and it's a really awesome opportunity. Um, I have a leadership role there as well, so it's good for the resume. Um, and, I mean, ultimately, you know, it's a great fallback to have to teach, so I'm glad to have the experience. And I'm right now I've got two jobs, two part-time jobs. In the mornings, I am a manager at the same school that uh, Jen works at, but a different campus because I'm not stupid enough to be my wife's boss. And I am in the afternoons, I teach kindergarten. So you, you transition roles. You are the, like the big boss in the morning and afternoon. You're a kindergarten teacher. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. That's comedy, actually. That's hilarious. Yeah. And so. How's that lifestyle? You guys are happy with your jobs? I mean, you said timeline six months, so it sounds like you're trying to transition out of those roles and, and get back to more what you're really kind of uh, personally striving for, which is more full-time steve for you as a comedian and more full-time writer, photographer for you, Jen, for your blog. Yeah, um, I think we're, we're on a pretty good track. We're on saving mode right now. So we, you know, just kind of focus on saving for travel um, to go as long as we can and then so it's more it's more a save mode with uh, a trickle of finances coming in from your passion projects uh, with the hope that once you're actually out on the road, you can hopefully increase those revenues um, without having to go back to teaching. Is that kind of the ultimate goal? Exactly. I see. I see. Yeah, I think that's uh, for a lot of us what we ideally would like is to obviously be out on the road, location independent from work, doing what we ultimately want to do. I know that's what I'm striving for, for sure. Um, can we maybe just talk a little bit about, cause last time we spoke in depth, we, we were back in the States all together. You just kind of come back from, I believe it was China and, and the, um, the repatriation, if you will, being back in this 
society was, I remember Jen having a conversation with you where just like, you felt like your head was spinning. And I was talking about the things that I do when I come back from my travels to, to, um, readjust. And, and was that a big motivation for you? Or what does that feel like? What does re- repatriation mean to you when you come back to the States? And how does that feel? Uh, we just felt like we were out of step with everyone else that we had different, uh, goals and different, we valued different things than the people that we used to know at home. And that was just because of your experiences in Asia or the cultural um, experiences that you maybe had adopted from your, your t- long time spent in China. Can we go into like more detail on that maybe? Um, yeah, I guess so. I, I think it's hard to connect about experiences you've had when other people haven't had those experiences. You know, people only want to listen to your stories for so long before they kind of get bored. Um, just because they can't relate, not because they don't care about you. And I don't know. I just felt like what everyone was doing at home wasn't the track that we were on. And I just felt really out of place being back home, which was very bizarre because these are people we've known for years and even family. I found it really hard, like to the point that I ended up going to therapy because I just couldn't even deal with all the emotions I was having and like how to reconcile what was going on in our lives. That, you know, at that, I think when we went home, we also were a bit directionless. Because we had considered, you know, going home and maybe even staying. And I think we were also out of step with each other at that point with what we wanted to do. So um, that was a difficult period. We were home for about five months in the end. And it was a rough, a rough time. It was a rough five months. Yeah. Interesting. And when you say out of step, was that, were you kind of implying that one of you wanted to stay while the other one wanted to go? Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought staying home would be a good idea. Um, not really. I don't really remember why now, but at the time it seemed like a good idea. But and then, so what was the the tipping point for you to say like, okay, let's let's go back and give it another go? Um, just the feeling that both of us weren't coping well with the situation that we found ourselves in at home, trying to find work. You know, we were we were back back where we started before we left for China. We were living with our parents. We didn't really have a lot of money. And uh, we really didn't have a good plan moving forward. But, um, you know, we were able to find what we love doing by moving to China and traveling there. So we thought, well, hell, let's just move back. Let's move back to uh, Asia and find uh, find that happiness again. Okay, I see. And, and it sounds like it worked out. I mean, is that an accurate sort of um, perception that you got back to Asia and it kind of all just kind of reconnected within you individually and within your relationship? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, yeah. When we stepped back on the plane to head back over, we flew to Thailand and traveled for a few weeks before we moved to Cambodia. And I mean, I just felt like this is exactly what we should be doing. Just that feeling of freedom when you step on the plane, knowing that you don't know what's ahead, but it's going to be awesome and you're going to figure it out. Um, and I think that our in the past two years, I mean, we really have figured a ton out since moving back to Asia and shown ourselves that we can literally with two backpacks, just move across the world to a new country and figure it out. And I think we've done awesome. Yeah, we got a really nice apartment. <laughs> That's amazing. And as far as your relationship goes, it's, I mean, you're married now, obviously. And um, would you say the experiences that you've had on your travels have really helped your relationship, hurt your relationship? What, what were the ups and downs like over these years doing what you do? Well, when we first moved, first moved to China, there were only six foreigners in the entire city. So it was really just us hanging out with each other for a, stri- a year straight. Yeah, um, so we like each other, thank goodness. Uh, 
And just the, the trials and tribulations of going through stuff like some of one of us will get sick and there's nobody else around. There's no family for thousands of miles. So we have to take care of the other person or um, just helping each other out because this is it is it is a lot of fun, but it can be tough at times. But it's always good to have, you know, my rock with me wherever we go so that uh, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm with Jen, so everything is fine. Well, that's beautiful. How about you, Jen? How do you feel about that? Gotta say the same thing. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, no pressure. No, I just, I feel like you have to have so much trust in your partner when you're doing something like this, um, because you are all each other has. And I think that, um, we've both shown each other that we are there for each other and we will be there through, for each other through, you know, tough times and really fun times. So, um, it's been amazing. I wouldn't want to do this with anyone else. Yeah, it sounds really cool. Now that you guys kind of sound, your timeline's plan, you're moving on in six months to a new adventure. What's going to happen with your blog, Jen? I mean, you kind of are based with most of your information right now in Cambodia. I was on it earlier and you have a great site where you talk about where people can get teaching jobs or how to get teaching jobs. You talk about a lot of really useful information for travelers to come and see Cambodia. As you continue to move on, will you continue to develop that kind of content? primarily with Cambodia, or are you going to branch out into more different types of countries? Uh, in the next six months, I really want to get a lot more content out there about Cambodia. Um, the good thing about the internet is, you know, once that content's out there, that's that's where it lives. So I think that we'll continue to get a lot of traffic through travelers coming to Cambodia, um, even when we're not living here. And we'll have a lot of contacts here to keep our information up to date and things like that. Um, but we'll definitely move on and, and it will be a transitionary period. I mean, even we don't know where we're heading next, but wherever that is, we'll try to keep that, you know, up to date on the blog and keep providing good information to people. Um, but I've also got another website project in the works that I think, um, could be even possibly more lucrative if I can figure out how to do it. Um, I just bought the domain festivals in Asia. And so, uh, we're working on that right now setting that website up oh wow that sounds amazing where you guys would travel around and and give information about the different festivals in asia yeah yeah and just have that be kind of a go-to um site for people so you know say you're heading over here in january or something like what festivals are going on in asia in january and where are you going to be in and we're talking about local festivals not necessarily like the electronic music festivals that happen all over asia also I mean, there's tons of EDM over here, too, and that could be a way we go with it. Um, I was thinking initially cultural festivals, but there are food festivals, there are music festivals, there are, like, reading and writing festivals. There's all kinds of stuff going on over here. So, I, yeah, I think it could be a platform for all kinds of different information about different festivals. I think that's a great idea. It sounds like, as of now, you have a little niche site of, niche site, sorry, of Cambodia, like as you said, we'll always be there. You can keep feeding with great information, and it's time to maybe yeah move on. And the festival one sounds awesome. I think that's a great idea. Thanks. Yeah, we're excited about it. And Steve, you're just gonna keep cruising around doing your stand up. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to put <clears throat> put together uh, like a 45 minute show, 45 minute act, and then I can go around and sell that to all of the uh, local guys and the contacts I've made over the past couple years in this part of the world. And is there a place that my listeners could go and find uh, Steve-O's stand-up comedy? Uh, yes, yeah, uh, steveojocelyncomedy.com. All right. I can put that in the links at the end of the show, so no worries. I'll get you guys linked up so people can find you both. With all that said, I mean, with the amount of experiences you've had, 
what kind of advice would you give somebody who's anxious to get out of their nine to five in the States and have the similar type of adventures that you've had either as a couple or individually, what would you say would be um, a good first step or, or how to go about it? I mean, first of all, I think everyone should know that you can do it. Like it's going to be scary, but you can make it happen. And the hardest part is going to be buying the plane ticket, getting on the plane. But once you land, you will figure everything out. I mean, you will. I mean, that's just the truth. Like you can't, it's scary. You can't know what to expect, but you're going to figure it out. Maybe um, give me a would, scenario. Sorry to interrupt you, but give me a scenario that you have found usually happens when you land in a foreign country that you've never been to before. There's, there's usually, for me at least, I notice there's a few scenarios that kind of unfold always, no matter what country I go to, but I'd like to hear your opinion on that. Uh, as soon as you land, uh, you're going to get about 30,000 offers for transport all over the state um, to places that you didn't you wanted to go and places you don't need to go. So that's, that's always a scary prospect. And like, you don't know where the scam is coming from, but you know, it's out there somewhere. Uh, and then that, that fear that, you know, you've, you've got all of your worldly possessions on your back. So you want to be protective of all that stuff. But at the same time, you're like, Hey, I'm here to have, a, I'm here to, I'm here to experience the culture. Why don't I just get in this tuk tuk with this random stranger and see where he takes me? Uh, and then, but luckily we still have all of our kidneys. <laughs> yes, you do. And so what strategies have you employed over the years to make yourself feel more comfortable about those landings? I think it comes a lot from experience of, um, you know, just knowing, go to the taxi stand, like don't go to a random person when you get out of the airport first thing. Um, you know, if we arrive late night, sometimes we'll sleep in the airport till the morning, you know, till it's light out just for safety. Um, I think those are great. I mean, those are amazing actionable steps that people can take. And those are the exact ones that I use. Definitely. You know, I sit and I observe who's who's hassling me the most. I usually avoid them. And I, I kind of just look for the quiet guy kicking it who doesn't seem to need my business, you know. But yeah. that's not always the best way. You just have to feel it out, like you said. And never never get pressured into anything that you don't really feel comfortable doing. Like sit and wait and watch. If you sit at the airport for two hours, like who cares? And like you said, like you can sleep at airports. It's super safe. Yeah, we do it all the time. We're um, pretty cheap. So. Absolutely. That's great, guys. Thank you for sharing so many actionable steps and, and cool resources. And I'll link you guys up um, so people can find you. If they're ever coming to Cambodia, they can they can shoot over a question to you both. And I really just want to thank you again for joining me. And I wish you all the best. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to... Choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new. To live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.